If you have your Bibles this morning and would like to follow along, I'm reading from the 8th chapter of Romans. If you would like to uh, find that, one of the great uh, passages of Scripture, one of the great chapters in all of the Bible, Romans chapter 8. And probably we'll read familiar words to you this morning. If you found that, I would ask you to follow along. Reading beginning in verse 31. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. Paul says, what then shall we say in response to this? He's listed a whole bunch of different things uh, previous to that. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ who died more than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall famine or hardship persecution or or trouble or hardship, persecution or famine, nakedness or danger of sword. As it is written, for your sakes we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let me read that again, verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all of us ought to say a hearty amen and thank the Lord for that. And our, our, our continuing our, uh, our, our talk and discussion, our focus this, this summer on a God of more. I want to remind you that He is such a God of more in our lives that He wants to do more for us than we usually let Him do. And He reminds us that we are more than a conqueror. thought about that this week. It'd be pretty great to conquer something. It would be pretty great to always to overcome something and to win. But but, but He doesn't say just you're going to conquer and you can win. You're going to be more than a conqueror. We talked this summer about what that means. I want to continue that same dialogue, that same thought process this day. Romans chapter 8, and especially these verses I've read, offer us the fundamental truth of God's Word. Is everybody hearing me? The fundamental truth of God's Word. God is for us and not against us. And to prove it, He has given His own Son to be a sacrifice for the sins that plagued mankind. His Son who would be killed without mercy Paul says, but more than that, he didn't just die. He was raised uh, from the dead uh, to uh, ascend to God in power, to intercede for us. We are more than a conqueror through him who loved us. God is on our side and not against us. Listen, there's a lot of forces that tell us that that's not true. The enemy finds all kinds of ways to discourage us, and the enemy finds all kinds of ways to highlight our shortcomings and our failures and our sins to remind us that maybe God's standing over the book of life with an eraser just waiting to erase our name out of it. But the truth of God's Word is that God is for us, and we've never had a greater ally. We've never had a greater friend. We've never had a greater force on our side than God Himself. He sent His own Son to die just for you and just for me. He raised Him up from the dead. He is seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us this very hour. 
And who better can be an advocate for the souls of, of, all, of, of all of us than the very Son of God? God is for us and not against us. Chapter 8 has contained many things. In fact, Paul begins the first verse of chapter 8 by saying, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul speaks as he often does among the, in the cultural setting of the day. And these words of triumph and these words of conqueror would resonate tremendously with his audience in the midst of the mighty Roman Empire with Rome at its center Historians tell us that when the, when the marauding, conquering army of the great Roman Empire would take over a, a town or a country or a village, that, that there would be a parade in downtown Rome, and the triumphal general would ride in his chariot and would come through town with the spoils or with evidence of, of the fact that, that they had conquered another country again. If you could imagine a time before telephones or internet or instant messaging, or real-world witnessing of events as we live with today. If you can imagine that the greatest source of news came word of mouth only, how in the world did the great Roman army uh, uh, brag on itself and show its success and show its power to the hometown crowd, regular great uh, parades of the triumphal generals riding in their chariot with the, with the, uh, with the uh, conquered king or the conquered nobles with, with riches and spoils. Paul was speaking these words to an audience who was used to understanding what triumph and conquering means. And then you consider the great Colosseum of Rome where people would gather by the thousands and thousands and thousands. Some of you have been to the ruins of the great Colosseum where Men and women would be killed for sport. In fact, historians say that it was not unusual fare on a Saturday afternoon or some afternoon in Rome that, that, uh, that, that wild animals would be trapped in the wild and they would, food would be withheld from them and they would finally be at the point of starvation and they would be released into the Colosseum floor and Christian men and women thrown into that mix to be torn apart by wild beasts. Perhaps that's what Paul means when he said we are, we as Christians, we are like lambs that are set to be slaughtered every day. This business of triumphant, being triumphant and conquering was common words to the audience in Rome. Paul speaks, though, of a greater meaning of conquering and being triumphant, though, as he writes these words. And he reminds us that no matter what happens in life, no matter how, 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 how persecuted we might be, no matter the, if we lose our life for the sake of Christ, there is nothing in this world that can separate us from the central truth of the Bible, that God is on our side, that God is working for us, that God has done everything needed so that you and I can live successfully for Him. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And in reality, nothing can get us off track with God other than ourselves. No outside force can, can overwhelm us. No set of circumstances physically can overwhelm us to the point we give up on God. We were forced to give up on God. The devil himself cannot stand in, in place of God and eliminate us from being part of God's plan. In fact, the only thing that can separate us in this context is our own actions by our own choice because we are men and women of free will. We ought to take great comfort in knowing today that God is a God of love. He is on our side. He is working for us. And if He is for us, who else can be against us? 
And if you don't believe he's for us, look at what he did in giving his own son to live, to die, to give his body, to be bruised and beaten and hung on a cross and killed as the ultimate sacrifice for the sins that is damning our souls, raised to the right hand of God. He even has his son on our side making intercession for us. That ought to bring hallelujah from every one of our hearts and minds today. If you've grown up in church in, in yesteryears where there was real hard preaching and we... Some of us have been part of uh, settings where, where, the, where the preachers talked about it being almost impossible to connect with God and live for God. And they made backsliding, an old term we don't use anymore. They made backsliding so common that you thought that everybody had to do it and you were rare if you didn't do it. They made it so easy to do. But according to Scripture, that is not a biblical concept. God is on our side. He is for us. And there is nothing the world can do to separate us from the love of God. No matter what happens, we are the only wild card in the bunch. We can choose to go God's way or not. But we have the opportunity with God to be not just a conqueror, but more than a conqueror through Him who has loved us. Amen to that and amen to that. And I thought this week then, why do we not live with greater victory in our hearts? Why do we not live with confidence of who He is and who we are? Why, why, do we, why do we not live at the level God intends us to live? I want to talk to you about a few of those things, I believe, that are hindrances that we let stop us and defeat us and uh, keep us from being more than a conqueror in this, in this quest to live for God. And I have to come to the conclusion that the first, the first thing that defeats us and the first thing that discourages and the first thing that keeps us from being uh, more than a conqueror, the main thing that keeps us from being is sin itself. Sin is the work of the enemy. Sin is the work of the devil. Sin, and I'm talking about sin and defining it this way, as a willful transaction against a known law of God. What is sin? It is doing something I know I shouldn't be doing. You ever felt that way? I know that I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I know what the Bible says and God's Word says. I know it's right and wrong, and somehow I'm in all this mix, and I don't know exactly all the things going on around me, but I choose to disobey God. That's what I mean when I talk about a sin. And we don't talk about this in the church a lot these days, but we ought to because it is such a real issue in all of our lives, whether we want to admit it or not. We come to a place and we kneel at an altar such as this, and we pray and ask God to come into our heart and to, to save us and to cleanse us, to redeem us, to forgive us of our sins. We repent of our sins. We accept Jesus into our heart and life. And the Bible says at that moment we become a new creature, a new creation in Christ. All things, old things have passed away and all has become new. If you are here this morning and you've never accepted Christ, it is your greatest need today. And you will never begin to achieve the life God desires for you until you are in full harmony with Him. And it begins at an altar somewhere where you confess your sin and invite Jesus in. But sometimes the church is short and just stops there in our teaching, in our preaching. And we don't talk about sin in the life of a Christian. Because even though I've accepted Christ, it does not mean that I cannot sin anymore. 
In fact, if you walk with God and you become a new Christian, you'll find one of the great struggles and the great trials of life is that you don't want to do it, but you do it anyway. I'm trying to live for God, and I don't want to violate His law, and I don't want to break a law of God, and I don't want to do what God tells me not to do, but I just don't have the power it seems to resist, and I fall into this, play, into this trap again and again and again and again. I cannot seem to get a grip on this business of sinning. By the way, you're not alone Every person who's walked with God has felt the same tug and test. Paul even says it about himself in chapter 7. If you go read chapter 7, somewhere about the 15th and through the 20th verses, he says, the things I want to do seems to be the things I don't ever do. And the things I don't want to do seems to be what what I end up doing. He actually says, oh, wretched man that I am. But he goes on there to talk about how to overcome that. And it comes to a point of, 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 a person, of a Christian person completely surrendering their lives to God, giving Him their future, surrendering their, their, their all, saying yes to God's will for my life, going further than just being saved. We go to what we believe and what our church calls a second work of God's grace where God comes into our hearts and, and we so give ourselves over to Him. That He not only breaks the power of sin in our life, He gives us for the first time the ability to say no to that, to not doing what I know I shouldn't do. He gives us an ability to say no to sin. Doesn't mean you can't ever sin anymore, but it means you, for the first time in life, you got the power not to. It's Christian growth, it's spiritual growth, it's spiritual maturity, and how many times God's people have fallen short to just barely get their foot in the door, and then we think everything's settled and everything's calm, and we, we try to live that way when God has so much more. When we come to an altar of complete surrender, you see, the problem is when we, get, when we accept Jesus into our life, we get all of God that we're ever going to get. The problem is that God does not have all of us. But when we can come to a place of complete surrender to God, we give all of ourselves to God. And He begins to impart to us a power and a work in our heart and life that is really hard to explain. And I can use theological words, and we can get caught up in all those words and and still not know what you mean. I don't care what we call it. I just want us to get it. And we surrender our lives to God. My future. Boy, as a teenager, I had a hard time doing that. I had my future all planned out, what I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. And I thought as a little boy, God was going to call me to be a missionary. In those days, the only missions we knew about was Africa. And the only concept we had of Africa, well, it was dark and wild and dangerous. By the way, it is all of those things. And I didn't want, I wanted to serve God, but I didn't want to be a missionary to Africa. I had to come to a place where I said, said, Lord, I want your will for my life. I so die out to myself and my own interests and my own desires and my own hopes for the future. I so die out to all of that that I will accept your will, whatever it is, even if it's going to Africa as a missionary. The old timers used to call it giving God the unknown bundle of my future. The old timers used to call it selling out to God. The old timers used to say, giving God everything and letting God have complete control of our life. That's the way the Christian overcomes the power of sin in our lives so that we can be more than a conqueror. And folks, we've been content to just be a mere winner when God has so much more. The power of sin in our lives so keeps us discouraged and defeated and less than a conqueror when God wants us to be more than a conqueror. I guess the first time I was ever in a real ocean, 
that's probably not correct to say that way, but I've been in the Gulf of Mexico. I've been off Galveston, Gulf of Mexico. That's not a real ocean. Been in some parts of the Caribbean that, that there's beautiful water and it's a big expanse of water, but I, but I didn't consider that a real ocean. But the time I was in the South Pacific where the waves started way, way, way out there, maybe on the other side of the world. And I'd always heard about playing in the waves along the beach, and I decided I'm going to do that this day. They were about three foot high when they came in, when they broke over the, when they broke over the top of the water, the white water would come in, and I remember with great excitement going out there to play in the ocean and play in the waves, and I, I got out about waist deep, and that first wave came in, and it knocked me down like I was a rag doll, <clears throat> and I couldn't understand what happened. Well, I thought I wouldn't, didn't have my feet firmly planted, and so I got back out there, got up, got dusted off, got all sand out of my hair and out of my swimming suit and all that, got back out, got my feet planted, here comes the next wave, and it, too, it threw me around like a twig. I thought, maybe I'm too far out, I'll go a little bit less, and I kind of went into thigh deep, and the wave came in, and this time it slammed me down, I hit my head on the bottom of the sand, I had sand everywhere, by the time I spent three or four hours doing that, I was bruised and beaten up, my swimming suit was torn up, in fact, I had to quit, because the back of my swimming suit had been ripped off, I had to wait to get out of the water for a little while, until the right people disappeared, <laughs> I went home that day, back to the, my room that day, I was scratched up and, a, and, and bruised and had abrasions on all over my body and my head hurt. And I thought, what in the world is fun about this? Well, didn't go the next day. I was too sore to go out to the ocean the next day. Decided the next third, second day I would. And I get out, there's a family over here on this part of the beach, a couple of families. And they're having a picnic, you can tell, for the day. And a couple of young teenage girls are laughing and giggling. And they run over my way. And they said, let's go ride the waves and play in the waves. And I felt obligated as an older adult to say to them, girls, I don't think you want to do this. It's dangerous out there. These waves will, these waves will, will beat you up. And I told them the story about, you know, I, like I probably said it threw this 170 pounds around like I was a toothpick. Well, maybe a little more than 170, but that's a different story. <laughs> told them how to rip my swimming suit off, and they really got pretty scared then. And as soon as that was polite, they thanked me, and I felt like I had done a, a duty with a, an older person to a young uh, kid, and they, they jumped in the water, and they started swimming, and they swam pretty far out there, and I could not imagine what was going to happen to them. The water was deep where they were at, and I held my breath when that first wave came over. They were floating on top of the water. Do you know what happened to them? They just floated on top of the water, and it pushed them forward about 10 or 20 yards, and they laughed and giggled, and it drew them back out again, and I thought, well, that's not fair. It beat me up. Why shouldn't it beat them up? And I watched them a little while and finally thought, well, maybe that's a secret. Maybe I was in too shallow water. And so when I could slip off and get another part of the beach, I swam. Water was about 30 foot deep by my estimation. And that same wave came in that had, that had thrown me around like I was nothing. And you know what happened this time? I just kind of rode on top of it. And the water went through. It was exhilarating. It was fun. It just shot you. It propelled you forward in, in just a way beyond description. And then it went over and crashed against everybody else who was standing in waist-deep water. I rode the waves all day that day. I caught the joy of all of that. I thought, man, what a great description that is of our Christian life. You see, folks, sometimes the problem is we're just barely in the water. And everything that comes along that sweeps us away and hurts us and hinders us and bruises us and beats us up. And we come to church licking our wounds, wondering what in the world's happened. When God said, if you'll just go deeper with me, 
The very same waves that have overthrown you, you can ride the top of them. It's not, it's not less dangerous. It's just a different way to, to, to embrace it. You can ride the top of it and you can stay buoyant and I will keep you floating. Sin is such a destructive force in our lives. Sin is out to destroy your home, your marriage. Listen, if the devil had his way, he would ruin every one of your lives here today, mine included. Don't think he wouldn't. It's his goal. Sometimes we don't let God really deal with the sin problem in life. If we're going to be more than a conqueror, we've got to let God deal with the sin issue. It's far more than just accepting Christ. It's moving on to a level of maturity where we say to God, we want all of you. We want to get out in the deep water. We want to get out of the water that's over our head and scary. And we're, listening, we're, we're, we're leaving it to you to keep us safe. And he will do it every time because God is for us and not against us. Fear is a great motivator in our lives. We've seen on the political scene that a great uh, a philosophy that if, if I can't make you doubt a person's credibility to hold office, if I can make you afraid of them, that's even better. Fear is a great motivator, and God's people live with such fear. We all deal with it. We are simply afraid to trust God, and fear becomes a great detractor in helping us be more than a conqueror. Well, for time's sake, let me just mention a couple of things I believe are great, defact, uh, great uh, uh, factors in, in keeping us below the level God would have us to live. We're afraid to trust God with our money. I didn't hear anybody say amen to that. That's, we're afraid to trust God with our money, and we hold back, and we think it's ours, and we think we've got to keep it, and and when, when God's Word says, look, if you, will, if you will honor me with a tithe, if you will test me, God's Word says, God said, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing, you can't contain it. But boy, we're so afraid to trust God with our money. We hold on to it like it's ours, when in reality, it's all His to begin with. We hold on to this stuff like it's ours when we fail to realize God's blessing upon us. And we've never caught the vision of what it is to honor God with our money because we're afraid of what will happen to us if we do. It's a trick of the enemy to make us afraid of trusting God. It's a trick of the devil to make us afraid of, of trusting God with our, with our finances and, and let God be in control. I want to tell you, and you can ask anyone who's caught the vision of tithing this statement, you can ask anyone, God can help the 90%. When you honor God with 10%, God can help the 90% you have left over to have more buying power than 100% of your money that God is not blessed. Amen to that. God wants to help us, and, and Jesus said, reminds us that where our treasure is, there our heart is. And if our heart's not fully with God, our treasure is not with God. Our hearts won't fully be with God. And we rob ourselves of such a blessing because we don't trust God, because we're afraid to trust God to the point that we let Him have our finances and we live a life of less than a conqueror when God wants us to be more than a conqueror through Him. I have people that have told me all the years of my ministry we can't afford to honor God with our money. Folks, I'd say to you, how can you afford not to? I was raised in an old-fashioned kind of preaching that said 10% is God, and he's going to get it whether you, whether you give it to him or not. Now, I don't know that's biblical. I've never found that statement in the Bible, but I'll tell you, uh, there's something when God blesses the things that we have in our, in our houses, in our homes, in our lives, 
I've had people, I've had friends that drove old cars that, that, should have been, uh, that should have been in the junk heap a long time, but somehow they believed God's blessing was on their car and air conditioners and washing machines and all those kinds of things that you talk about, health of ourselves, on and on and on. When those things break, it's not a sign that God's punishing us, but I'm just trying to say that if you want to be more than a conqueror, you have to begin to give God the most important things in our life, and our money is at the top of the list. If we could somehow get a hold, let God help us get a hold of the sin problem we face, and if we could somehow give, stop being afraid to trust God with our money, we become more than a conqueror, as Paul wrote I, for time's sake, don't have a chance to go into time, trusting God with our time and being wise with our talents. And we really owe God a talent of our time and a, t- and a tithe of our time and a tithe of our talent. Come to the place, it's taken me a long time to get there, perhaps not willfully, but just because I'm hard-headed, I guess. It's taken me a place to finally decide that the guy who wrote the book and knows the way might be somebody worth listening to in every step and every area of life first time I ever traveled overseas was with a group of people. We started out in southern Germany. This was a long time ago before cell phones. Anybody remember before cell phones? Some of you do, I think. And we were in two cars, and we, uh, we flew all night into Frankfurt, Germany. We rented two cars. We rushed down to the, down to the city of Munich. It was about six o'clock at night. We were going to stay in Munich, and none of us had ever been there before. One guy had been there before. None of us had been there. We didn't know what to do. I will never forget at 6 o'clock at night in the, in the center of Munich, seeing the doors to the train station open. And I'll tell you, thousands, hundreds and thousands of people poured through those doors, and, and a seemingly a vacant uh, town was now overrun with people. We didn't have enough sense to know it was the opening weekend of Oktoberfest. And we went to a hotel in town and said, we need six rooms. And the clerk laughed and said, you'll not find them. Everything within at least 100 kilometers of Munich is booked full. And we said, surely not. And he was right. And we spent that night looking for a room and have been up all night flying. We drove all day. Now it's the wee hours of the morning. We've been to every town we can find. We, we ask every hotel. We have begged and pleaded. It's about two in the morning and we're frustrated and we come to an intersection in the middle of nowhere and the second, the first car roars off into the darkness. And there's a a truck that comes in and keeps the second car from going through. Just on the other side of the intersection was a hill, and the road divides in three ways, three different directions. And we didn't know where the first car went. I was in the second car, scared to death, because I realized the first car had the itinerary, and most of all, the tickets home. (laughs) And how in the world would we ever find each other again? I couldn't read the signs. I was trying to drive. I couldn't read the signs. I didn't know if it said one way or this way. I didn't know how to, there was no way to call and connect. And, and it, was a, it was about 30 minutes of real terror. And it taught me a great lesson in life. And by the way, we just simply stayed there. And the other car finally realized we were not there. And the circle around. it took them 30 minutes to find us again. But they did. But it taught me a great lesson. And the lesson is, when I travel in a group like that, I never want to get far away from the person who has the means to get back home. I thought about that in Scripture. Why would I ever depart from the way of the one who tells us how to get home? And he tells us in Scripture over and over and over again. 
Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven or hell, and it's a big deal in our life. If we could get rid of this, if we could get the sin problem addressed and the money problem addressed, we could be more than a conqueror. Anxiety is a is a great challenge to many of us. Anxiety, folks, is simply a lack of trust of God. I'll tell you, it's a hard thing for me to do. I don't have any doubts about God. I got a lot of doubts about everybody else and that, that, you, that you have to deal with in life. I've got a lot of doubts about the circumstances I have no control over, but God says, trust me. Call on me. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, and He will direct your way. And I sometimes let anxiety cause me to make a choice that does not lead me to be a conqueror, a great conqueror. Difficulties in life. Yes, we get sick. Yes, we get really sick, and terrible things happen to us physically, and we can't get over that And sometimes. And yes, there are things other people do that are really, really difficult. There's trouble at home sometimes. There's trouble with our kids, our extended families that we can't correct. There's trouble at work. Sometimes there's trouble in my finances. I paid my tithe and still struggle at times. At times, there's all kinds of things in life that can overcome us and get us off track and cause us to live a life less than one triumphant and a conqueror. But Paul's words to these Romans are as true as today, to us today as it's ever been. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We concentrate on the conquerors, but the emphasis ought to be on through him who loved us. And it's all in Jesus. If we give ourselves wholly to Jesus, he would do something different in our lives that we've never had before. If we would give ourselves wholly to him, and if we would say, Lord, everything we've got, everything we hope to have, everything we want to have, everything you give us is yours, and begin to live all out for Christ, life and death, nothing else different different it's that kind of a commitment if we would give God the most important things in life I talked to a teenage boy one time who said my goal in life is to is to get married and to marry this girl right here and he said I'm hoping that's God's will and he said I don't want to pray and ask God about it because I'm afraid God will say she's not the one I didn't have the ability to convince him that if she's not the one, you shouldn't do this. But I remember the time in a revival service when he knelt at an altar of prayer and he decided he would give God his hopes and dreams and his future. He would give God his marriage. He would give God this girl. If she was not the one, that would be all right with him. It would break his heart somehow, but he didn't. He believed what God had for him was better than what he had for himself. And what joy there was in seeing him at full surrender to God. I've often wondered if they got married, if she really was the one, but it didn't matter. He had found connection with God that gave him victory in spite of all of that. Paul writes and reminds us that God wants us to be more than a conqueror. He enables us to do that because God is on our side. Because God gave his son to break the power of sin in our lives, to defeat the work of the enemy to help us live triumphantly for Him. If we'll make the right choices with God, we can be more than a conqueror. By the way, I don't think you ever get to the place. I don't think we ever get this side of heaven to the point of perfection. We know we don't. We'll keep striving every year, every day, every week. But I want to tell you something, folks. We ought to be better at serving God this year than we were last year. 
And we ought to be better the next year at serving God. And God ought to have more power in our lives because we let him. And we ought to not be overcome by the things that, that so upset us today. If we would just, as I heard the teenager, let go and let God have his way in our lives, we can be more than a conqueror. I've had the opportunity to go to Haiti a couple of times, the island of Hispaniola, half Dominican Republic, or two-thirds, half part of it, Haiti, the poorest country in the world. And yet I've seen those Haitians come to church with, uh, they had nothing. They might have had a lean-to shelter that they've built from building parts they found washed up on the beach, or cardboard, or something they've skipped. They lived without running water. I've watched the women get a bowl of water and wash their little dishes in it and then use that water to take a bath themselves. I've been there in presidential elections when they were afraid to even mention the word, the name of a candidate for fear of physical repercussions. But I've watched those Haitians with nothing worship God like I've never seen with joy in their heart and in their soul because God was their hope and God was all they had. I pray, Lord, may it be so in my life as well. All out for God, more than a conqueror. Well, I'll stop preaching at this point. Just feel like there's a great holy presence in this room today. I'm going to ask if anybody would like to publicly say they, they need to pray. Would you, would you bow your head and close your eyes? Or close your eyes anyway. Anybody here that would say, I, God has spoken to me and I don't want to leave this church service without making peace with God. Would you be willing to just to get up where you're standing and walk down the aisle, kneel at this altar. Let me have a closing prayer with you. Let your family pray with you. God, help me. God, help me. Thank you. Anybody else? God has spoken to me. I want to be more than a conqueror. I've let sin conquer me, but no more. Would you be willing to come? Nothing to be ashamed of, nothing embarrassed about. This is your church family. We're not going to point a finger at you. We're not even going to take any church membership today if you come to the altar. We'll wait just a moment. I have a need, and I don't want to leave today without God having met that need. Anybody here today? Anybody else? I'm tired of struggling. I want God to help. I want to give God my life, present, future, Everything in between. Anyone else? We'll wait just one minute. I have a need and don't want to leave church without special prayer today. I want to pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be in church today. And to be able to read the pages, the words from the pages of one of the great, great Holy Spirit-inspired writings of your man. Lord, may we live this week with greater confidence that we're yours. Most importantly, that you are ours. May we let you defeat the work of the enemy in our lives. May we continue to give ourselves to you daily. May we not let sin defeat us. May we let you defeat sin in our lives. May we not withhold from you the things that are most precious to us. May we give everything to you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be successful in living for you in the midst of life's problems, in the midst of life's trials. May we live faithfully for you. Guard us and guide us. We're thankful for your love today. Bless us now as we go 
from this place into our, uh, the rest of our activities of the day. May we honor you by all that we do and say this day. In your name we pray, amen and amen.